After over a month, we are back. Episode 8, Changing Gears podcast. And I guess we have to address the elephant in the room right out the gate on why we haven't done anything in like a month and a half. And the answer is Ben was really sick. I was really sick again. <laughs> again. For about a month and a half. I, um, yeah, he just got released yesterday. We wheeled him out of the hospital. And uh, now he's in the booth. And we're back at it. I lost my voice but um, for a month and a half. But I have insurance on it. So <laughs> that worked out. And we're yeah, back. that my company voice is insurance. Back. That pays off. Yeah, once they pay out your insurance payout, pay out, you, you uh, get your voice back. Wow. And um, so here we are. What a life. I know. In actuality, we've been up to a lot of things, including traveling the globe. A few weeks ago, Ben and I set out from Minneapolis to literally cross the entire globe and end up in the little island country of Sri Lanka. And we are not trying to make a uh, Top Gear episode, all that although that would be fun. We went there with an entirely different purpose in mind that wasn't car-focused. Um, but we, of course, addressed some car funnies, issues, and experiences along the way. And I think the first one that comes to mind that's worth sharing, Ben, is the Suzuki Alto 800 that we rented. And one of our associates in Sri Lanka who works for us actually rented for us. And that was terrifying. Yeah, I guess we should give some background just on the roads. Oh, I yeah. mean, it was, it's, it's think of everything being two lane highway and there isn't really too many rules yet. They do kind of, nobody speeds really. Yeah. I think so, there's a national speed limit. Everyone just kind of shares the same roads. So everyone's passing people. You got bikes, you got people walking, you got people crossing the street. There's just dogs lying in the road. Buses, semis. Buses, like work semis, lorries. carrying things. Yes. Lorries. Everyone just kind of passes at their own kind of risk. And yeah. it more or less worked out. We don't go very quick, but we happen to be in the smallest car on the road. Well, I don't care who you are. Maybe you were more okay with it than I was, but I don't care. At 30 miles an hour, it was sketchy. When you're in this tiny... How much do you think the Suzuki Alto weighed? Like 1,500 oh, pounds? Yeah, 1,800 pounds maybe. I mean, if that, yeah. Anytime, at, even if you're going 30 miles an hour... Every five minutes, you're looking at headlights of a 50,000-pound semi that yeah. is in your oncoming lane. But you were sitting on the right side, so you were sitting in the incoming lane traffic. Yeah, because so you drive on the left. Drive on the, the, drive on the left, yeah. So you got to see like the oncoming traffic. Meanwhile, I was just kind of looking out the road. Yeah, and we're in the tiny car. And you know like 30 miles an hour is 30 miles an hour. But when you're both going 30 miles an hour, you hit someone head-on death, instantaneous death. Like, yeah, that thing was a sh- that thing was a shit box. Like we throw people throw around the word shit box about cars here all the time. This was an actual shit box. It's it was tiny. I bet if you got four like decently strong people and you put them at a corner, you could just walk the car anywhere you oh, wanted yeah. to. Oh yeah, you could definitely <laughs> lift, like four guys could lift that thing up and put it in the back of a pickup truck. Yeah, no big deal. Yeah, yeah it was terrible. I mean, Ben's a tall guy. You're what like six three or something? Six four. Yeah. Six four. And your knees were like in your chest in the dashboard. I was crammed in there, yeah. Yeah, and I was in the back seat. It's a right-hand drive car. Left left-hand side of the road, so you know British rule. Former British, what's that word? I don't want to say British country. There's a more educated way to say it, but okay. they were formerly British. Yeah, British formerly colony. British. So yeah. you have that influence there. And yeah, it's tiny cars and it's death defying. And I don't think at any point were we on a road, except maybe the airport road at the end of it in a major city, was it not a two lane road? 
That was a nice route, yeah. Yeah. And we, we were fine then. And we covered a lot of ground. So we arrived in Sri Lanka. We're not going to tell you the whole trip story because you're not listening to this podcast. It's not a travel podcast. But we get into the capital of Sri Lanka, Colombo. And our final destination is on the entire other side of the country. So it's an island country. It's only maybe 200 miles end to end from north to south, something like that. Um, but as Ben alluded to, it's all small two-lane roads and countrywide speed limit of 60 kilometers an hour, which I'm pretty sure is like 30 miles an hour, 45, 40, 40 something like that. 40-ish, yeah. Not fast. And so to go anywhere, when we left, we our first vehicle was a um, Toyota van. I believe it was a Super GL, if you want to Google it. Oh, yeah. Toyota van looks very at home in India and Sri Lanka and those Indonesian countries. And it was big i don't really have many complaints about the van itself other than we sat in the third row which is right on the rear axle and it was like the bumpiest eight hours of my life yeah it definitely shares like a platform with a with a sedan or a smaller car and then they just stretch it out into a van so it's yeah. a short wheelbase it's very bumpy small tire very bumpy yeah that i'm prone to getting car sick and man that was rough eight hours for me that was a very long eight hours mm-hmm. you're kind of looking out the other window at some culture shock um, yeah, and fun fact are we have a hired driver for this ride who is very snacky and so every couple hours you just pull into a restaurant or a, a street side sh- uh, shack that was selling snacks yeah and you're just like all right i guess we're eating <laughs> everyone's staring at us because yeah. we're the only westerners yeah they everyone's don't see like, a lot of westerners <laughs> in Sri Lanka. <laughs> who the heck is who the heck are these guys <laughs> yeah during yeah. covid yeah everyone's like what are these guys doing yeah, here as an experience I was gonna say we should we should talk about our, our our associate who drove us around in a manual transmission car. Oh man! And I don't think he knew how to drive manual, so he, when he wanted to go faster, he'd he'd upshift. Yeah. And he'd just keep upshifting, so he's going very very slowly, but he's in fifth gear, thinking that's gonna make him go faster. The best way I can it's describe <laughs> it is I think he correlated the gears with like power settings. Like yeah, when I yeah. want to go fast, I put it in five, and oh, when man. I want to go slow, I put it in one. I almost told him like, dude, I'll drive. I don't, <laughs> I don't care. I'm, I'm obviously going to do better than you are, but they have driving customs over there that I would have not understood. Right. And it's routine so. there. You know, you don't, you pass whenever available. So you're constantly passing people in the oncoming lane and you're constantly being passed. And so obviously you or I, you know, we want to pass someone downshift, get on it. Yeah. Get over. He'd up, he'd up shift. Oh yeah. Sometimes oh. two gears, like we'd be in third and you go to fifth and then get into it. And keep in mind, you're like staring at headlights the whole time you're... Of a truck, yeah. Yeah. You're just slowly accelerating, trying to pass this bus or whatever. Keep in mind, the Suzuki has 47 horsepower. I've looked this up. (laughs) It is a 790cc engine, something like that. So this is a 0.8 liter three-cylinder engine with 47 horsepower. It ain't going anywhere. Yeah. In fifth gear, going 30 miles an hour. Yeah. It's not... It was tough. I mean, just us sitting in there, you know, probably slowed the car down considerably. Oh, for sure. we're enough weight for that. 100%. I mean, you got me, our associate, and Ben in the car, call it 600 pounds, in a car that probably only weighs just over twice that amount. Yeah. That's the equivalent of, like, having your 5,000-pound F-150 with 2,000 pounds in the bed. Yeah, pretty much. That was brutal. Yeah. It was an adventure. I was terrified. Ben's a little more cultured than I am. I'm very, like, stereotypical American. So there is definitely some moments that I was like, what am I doing here? Yeah. It was a, 
it was an experience though but we got to see um we got to see part of a country and yeah no live to tell the tale <laughs> being home looking back on it i'm glad we did it and we learned some new motoring knowledge companies i've never heard of granted maybe i lack culture prior to our trip going there i'd never heard the word bolero and the only time i'd ever seen tata motors was in the back of like those little utility pickups that are primarily used for like landscaping and ground screws. Yeah. They make everything. I mean, they're based out of India. They're just a big company there. They're like India's Toyota, India's general motors. Yeah. I guess there was a good amount of Suzuki's and Toyota's there too. We saw, Oh, we saw, I think one American car and of all the American cars in the world, it was a Ranger Raptor, which they don't actually sell in America, but it's the only one I've ever seen. It probably will be the only one I ever will see. It was cool. It had the the tire in the back, like a rally truck, like, you know, that's kind of cool. And, you know, I don't want to bore you all with more travel information either, but the import taxes on vehicles are extremely high. When we were in Sri Lanka, everything was dirt cheap. Like the meals, the hotels, you know, we're not here to brag, but we're staying in five tar- five star resorts the entire time, eating at nice restaurants. And for nothing. For yeah. nothing. $50 a night hotels. Yeah. We're talking beautiful oceanfront, rooftop pool hotels, 50 bucks a night. We're eating for four or five bucks a night. It's amazing. But the cars, wildly expensive. It's the only other thing that's polar opposite. And so due to that, you have a million mopeds and bikes and scooters and all that kind of stuff. Um, so you get a lot of these cheap manufacturers. So when you see, you know, we saw an Audi, we saw the occasional BMW, we saw the Ranger Raptor and you see something like that and you're like, that's a $50,000 car in the U S like that's six figures equivalent in Sri Lanka. So when you see something, it's like seeing a Lamborghini, the Suzuki we were in from rupees to the Sri Lankan rupees to us dollars would be like around like 10 to $13,000 here. Yeah. Like that's a, that's like a decent purchase for someone here buying a used car over there where they don't make nearly as much money. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a massive, massive asset for someone. It's just crazy. Yeah. So, so that was one of my biggest, like what the heck out of all the things to see there. And we're again, not trying to give a Sri Lankan history lesson, but the North is very different than the South. It's very rural in the North, very poor in the North. Uh, and that is where we saw this Ranger Raptor, which I'm convinced unless they decide to bring those to the U S in the coming years, probably won't see another one yeah we were told if anyone had a nice car they worked in the government yeah like yeah that probably makes sense i guess and we did uh have a meeting and hang out with a guy that picked us up in an audi q3 so we were like felt like a rolls royce yeah getting into that thing yeah this was after we had had our road trips in the suzuki and the toyota van so this thing was just it was beautiful yeah when i got back home and got in my gti i was like oh my goodness this thing just drives on rails yeah the air conditioning is beautiful. It's quiet, which I'd never really thought about. My car, my car's not really that quiet. Mm-hmm. It's great. Yeah, it was an experience. So I was looking up Boleros when we got home because this is like the, I'd call it the utilitarian SUV. Yeah, Mahindra Bolero. Yes, it's a Mahindra Bolero. Mahindra is the brand. Bolero is the model. And I go to their website, which I recommend people do. It's just auto.mahindra.com. I'm sure you can Google it. The key highlights of their new Bolero SUV. This is a four-door SUV. Kind of looks like a safari-esque car, like maybe some inspiration from Jeep and Land Rover. and Generic brand G-Wagon. Yeah. Highly generic brand Extremely. G-Wagon. Yeah. Key highlights. I'm going to read them off. New bold grill with new redesigned dual tone grill make a powerful statement every single time. Yes. That is what it says. Word for it on the website. It's a grill. There's nothing special about this grill other than 
they have the uh, grill slats, and two of them are now white. The rest are black. It's pretty sick. Pretty sick. Basically racing stripes. My personal favorite. To keep you safe on your bold expectations, the new Bolero comes with ABS and an airbag. One airbag. (laughs) One. (laughs) That's all you got. One airbag. Yeah, they look ridiculously unsafe. Yes. Uh, Here it continues. When it comes to comfort, the Bolero rules supreme on all terrains with its spacious seven seats. And to clarify, it's two in the front, driver and front passenger. There's a bench seat that in theory sits three. And the back, their air quote third row, is two seats that face each other from left to right. So you're looking at the left side of the car and at the right side of the car, not front or back. Yeah, it's just it's just tiny. I, I kind of like if it won't if it weren't for the safety thing, I would feel like these are kinda cool to have like as a little truck like to do your little work in, you know? Like a little work truck. Mm-hmm. You know, like a cabin truck or just kind of a second car. It'd be great, but it's the safety. We're just like, I get hit, it would just fall apart. Oh, yeah. But terribly. I kind of like like really cheap shitbox trucks like this. It is kind of funny. And it's a little diesel manual. So it's got that going for it. Like, that's enthusiast stuff in America. Yeah. <laughs> but so then when you like go it. on and build, build and price, you know, on most automotive websites, Mahindra is no different. You go to build and... I don't exactly understand the pricing on these because whatever country makes these puts commas in weird places. So I'm not exactly sure how the pricing works. But your options, yeah, it's India. But your options only include grill, ABS, and airbag. 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 One. (laughs) Let's hold on. Let's. This is real live action here. I want to see what the uh, airbag option costs. Screw all the passengers. Yeah. Just just the driver. The driver will, will maybe live. And if you look at the picture, it's the most standard airbag you could possibly imagine. Yeah. I guess it's just going back to, like, if you're in the 70s or 80s or something like that here. Yeah. Just kind of where they're at. It's cheap. Yeah. All right. The airbag is a 17,000 rupee option. That's probably Indian rupees. Yeah. So 17,000 indian rupees to u.s dollars is 233 dollars 233 dollars there you save go. your life yeah i'd do that <laughs> yeah I'd, I, that is an option i would certainly have but obviously that limits it from ever coming to america you wouldn't be able to no I, I don't think it's gonna happen oh i think i think we forgot to mention the suzuki stat of it's banned in every country <laughs> oh yeah except sri lanka india and malaysia it has a like zero star crash test rating it does not come with airbags as we said, it's tiny, and there are videos of it hitting walls at 30 miles an hour, and it's not good. And the be- wall wins. Yeah, yeah, big time. And because of that, as Ben said, it has been banned in every country except India, Sri Lanka, and Malaysia, which clearly just don't care about road safety. No. I mean, it's. I guess it's, I guess if you're thinking like an Indian or a Sri Lankan, you're like, well, I guess that's safer than a moped, right? Yeah. So it's safer I than mean, a moped. Very good point. When the alternative is a moped or walking slightly safer i guess yeah but i'd argue it honestly i think if i had to be hit by something i would take the moped knowing i would fly off it than be like the freaking junkyard car yeah. crushers oh, in gosh. the uh the suzuki 
I'd take my chances on the moped if I was picking. Yeah, the moped you might be a little bit more agile in too. I mean, we've talked about this. Being able to avoid an accident might be just as safe as, you know, the safety yeah. features you get of getting an and accident. And frankly, I'd rather fly off it and take my 30, 30 mile an hour road rash than be compressed. And Oh, God, that's just terrifying to think about. <laughs> yeah. All right. Oh, we were there. Moving Sorry. on. Sorry, Mom. Back in America, we've done some test drives. And by we, I mean Ben. First off, the new Miata slash MX-5. Yeah, so I've been bored, and I've gotten to test drive a couple cars. Wait, time out. What? I forgot to mention, after our Sri Lanka trip, we got back and became full-time podcasters. Yeah, something happened in there where, you know, we just kind of <laughs> ended up with a lot of time, and um, here we are. So Yes, so we'll, cars. in theory, not be missing months on end without a podcast. <laughs> so, yes, not. anyway, Ben's been bored. And yeah. went and drove an MX-5. Yeah. So I uh, I went to the dealership here because I was like, I should probably drive one of these. I haven't driven one. There's been four generations of Miata. We're on the fourth one. We're kind of nearing the end of the fourth one, I think. Um, it's been out for several years. But Miatas are obviously famous cars. Mm-hmm. I've only ever driven like one for a second a long time ago. And we t- we've talked about them a lot on this podcast. Yeah, we do. So it kind of makes sense to drive one. They've so, always been known as the like cheap enthusiast sports car. Yeah, so I was I was very conflicted. I was actually uh, so I, to start off, I was kind of disappointed, um, but I, I I get it. Um, it's tiny. I should kind of start off with that. And I'm a six foot four guy, so it's kind of tough. I fold up, you know. I'm not like a big dude, but um, my head went above. I, like I had trouble seeing out of it. Mm-hmm. I didn't have trouble fitting in it. Um, the roof goes up pretty high, but the line of the top of the windshield comes down a bit. So I kind of have to like lower my head to see out of it a little bit. Right. And, uh, that was kind of like, oh, it's like, that's not that it's not, it's just kind of sucks, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, the shifting was great. Like it just, you like, drove a manual, right? Yeah. Yeah. Just notch the, I mean, I think the car's worthless if it's a, if it's an automatic, but, mm-hmm. Um, the shifting was great. It's really easy to drive. The clutch was really easy. Steering was really easy. Everything about it was kind of like easy mode, um, easy mode sports car. Like this is just such like an easy thing. And if I had one of these, I would want to probably do a lot of work to it. Probably change up the wheels and tires, put sway bars in, try and do something with the power, that kind of thing. Yeah, I feel um, that. So, I mean, overall, I liked it. They obviously Did you feel it was underpowered? Underpowered? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, it was it was slow. Um, and I knew it was going to be slow. I mean, as have kind of always been slow. And that's kind of, like, not what the car is for. Like, if you want something faster, like, don't get a Miata. Like, you know, people that get a Miata are just like, yeah, I kind of take that for it. But the one right now has 181 horsepower. And that was bumped up from 155 a couple of years ago same engine um and it definitely needs that bump i couldn't imagine driving the 155 horsepower one and thinking like oh yeah this was fun (laughs) well like the early 2000s ones even like the 90s ones i have to imagine are significantly lighter yeah i think they are i think this one's actually lighter than the previous generation Hmm. um and i don't know the exact stats on that um i mean i think they're all relatively similar the the first ones were definitely the lightest um, so they've never really been that big of a deal in terms of 
you know, it's a light but underpowered car. So it's like there's kind of some give and take there. And part of the fun is that it's so light. Mm-hmm. And if you put a bigger engine in it and made it faster, well, it'd throw off the balance of the car. Right. You know, it would just kind of like the weight would be off. And, you know, you, you think of like the crazy scientist Japanese engineer that engineers teams that are making these cars. Like mm-hmm. they have it so dialed in that why would you do that? You know, mm-hmm. the car's perfect from the box. So a year or two ago, some guys uh, did a SEMA build and they Hellcat swapped a Miata. Yeah. <laughs> and it ended up wrapped around a tree a few weeks after that. Yeah. And I think something like that is funny. And a lot of people put LS engines in it. You know, if you want to put a Corvette engine in it, people do that. I just think it would take away um, from the car. And I, I think the point of it is to be kind of just like a slow, fun car. I remember hearing a car reviewer one time say years ago that a Miata shouldn't, you're not really like driving the car. You're just like experiencing the world around you as you drive the car. So like, it's, it's like you're going for a scenic drive. Every time you drive a Miata, you're, you're going on a scenic drive. Mm-hmm. So it's like not really about the performance. Um, Makes sense. I've heard they fun. understeer quite a bit too for being a rear wheel drive car. Like they feel very light on the front wheels. That's what I thought. Um, and I actually know something about this. So you've heard me allude to the fact that my girlfriend only drives Mazdas. Don't ask me why she's had three of them. <laughs> and so I spend a healthy amount of time in a Mazda dealership, meandering around bored, trying to find what I can find that's worth looking at the Mazda dealership. And so every time she's there getting a new CX-5, I, of course, wander over to the MX-5s and Miatas. And I've talked to a lot of sales reps about them just out of curiosity. I don't want one. But he explained this whole process of how they've actually pushed the engine back behind the front axle so the center of gravity is you know weight distribution is mm-hmm. more even center of gravity is lower um, all this kind of stuff a lot of thought was put into moving the engine back in the car and to me granted i did not drive this car but to me when you take that weight weight off the front axles in a rear wheel drive car it just sort of floats, if that makes sense. It felt a little floaty, yeah. It, it, I mean, and I'm used to my GTI, which is front-wheel drive, so there's definitely going to be a lot of weight on those front wheels, and it's gonna be, the front wheels are going to be doing all the work. Mm-hmm. But it, it felt like a little too opposite. Um, and so I got back in my GTI after the test drive, and I was like, this thing handles correctly. It Like, I point it, and it goes that way. Right. Um, I feel like I'm kind of sitting on the back wheels in the Miata, where in my GTI I'm sitting on the front wheels. So makes sense. It felt a little bit easier to drive. If you were to give it a Ben score, I give it a solid six and a half out of 10. Fair enough. Which, and here's the thing I should say about it too, is this is a $30,000 car. This is a brand new Miata and people will buy these and people have to buy these if they're ever going to be used. But for 30 grand, I know I can have a lot more fun another way. And why would I buy a $30,000 Miata when I can probably just get a used one for 15 and then just check it out. So. And as a last note that I'm going to throw in here, and if you want to hear more of this rant, I think an episode or two ago I gave it, Mazda should not be making bad sports cars. They have a prototype racing team, and to me that technology has to go somewhere. Clearly it isn't in the Miata, so what's coming or yeah. what's next for Mazda? They try to keep it cheap, and I guess I can't really fault them for that. Yeah. So. All right, so not the only small sports car you've driven lately. An S2000, what year was it? This was a, oh, 2002. I guess I can't really remember the year. It was mm-hmm. a first generation. Was so it red? 99 to 2004. It was black. Oh. So, yeah. I, I partly wanted to drive these back to back. That's why I went and test drove the Miata. And, um, yeah, my dad and I were bored. We're in South Dakota. And we're, like, bored on a Saturday. And he's like, let's go let's go drive this S2000. I'm like, well, duh. And um, 
I should say that these are getting up in price now because people like these. This was a big car. Um, well, it's a small car, but they, uh, they're a big deal and they're getting to be more and more of a big deal as cars like this just aren't around anymore. Mm -hmm. So one like this, if it's in good condition, is about $30,000 for the yep. price of a new Miata. For sure. So an S2000 is a lot different than a Miata, which is a little bit more subdued. The S2000, on the other hand, revs to like 8,500 and just goes. It's not that fast, but it sure feels like you're driving one of the fastest cars ever built. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine that. I think they have 240 horsepower. 240 horsepower and a two-liter engine and for... I think about f almost 10 years, the S2000 had the record for most horsepowers per liter in a naturally aspirated car. Hmm. So until the Ferrari 458 came out. Wow. So what it kind of had this like this. It was it punches a lot and it, and it revs very high and all that power is made very high. So when I'm driving it. You know, you've heard of like the VTEC that Hondas have. Mm -hmm. You're driving it. Let's say you're just in second gear. You're going 15 miles an hour um, and you just punch it like around like 5,000 or so. It like kicks on. There's like this. All of a sudden it just gets louder and it just goes. Hmm. So you're kind of driving it and it the whole car is just shaking and it's going faster and faster and faster. Um, but it was much tighter than the Miata. The Miata feels loose and it's easy to drive the steering is light the s2000 was just like harder steering very tight steering very tight shifts that felt very mechanical yeah i was just gonna use that word as everything's mechanical back then so when you're yes. actually pushing the gas you know you're pulling a throttle line that's yep. opening a valve and like everything happens where likely i don't know for fact but in that miata you know, just because you're pushing the gas down, you're not actually doing anything other than telling a computer what yeah. to do. Yep. That's, and, and Miata, uh, Mazda's probably done a really good job of making it feel more natural. And that's what their engineers are, you know, mm -hmm. paid to do. I mean, but Japan's full of smart guys. The, S2, the S2000 was like, was just like full throttle. Like you wanted to just like crush this thing. Mm -hmm. And you're not even really going that fast. So it's kind of fun because... It's, you know, you're, it's quick, but it's not that quick. Like I got back into my GTI again, you know, after that car and I'm like, I think my GTI is faster than the S2000. It's probably close. It's probably similar. I don't know. They have the same amount of horsepower, mm -hmm. uh, but it was, it was funny. So it was really fun to drive. You know, I would take a good condition S2000 over a brand new Miata 10 times out of 10. Um, though. You know, they're both good cars. So I'd have loved to drive that car, especially if I could have drove my three series back to back with it. Yeah. Because I would have been interested to see what that feels like. Oh, the comfort in, and luxury of your three series would have been like very apparent. Mm -hmm. Like, wow, this thing's really nice. <laughs> right. But the S2000s we drove to, we were told it was a salvage title and something had been screwed up, I think, with the front end of it. So we were driving and we're like, not really quite sure. Is this thing good? Mm -hmm. Is it not? But I would... I, you know, it felt good to me. It felt like a 20 year old car. Right. Um, but that's also one. part of the fun. So right on, right on. So good, good times. I'll have to do some more back to back car testings. I got to go get my test drives in. Ben's been smoking <laughs> me. He's done like the last four of them. Well, the, the S 2000s one was easy. And then the Miata one, like I had to really talk through the sales guy here who was really trying to sell me a Miata that day. Right. And I had to like, I had to really talk around him cause he was just like, well, like, what don't you like about it? And I just like kept making all these excuses because I wasn't going to buy it. You know, I wasn't going to do it. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, I'm just there to, you know, get content for this podcast. <laughs> and he, he's, he's like, well, like, 
he's like, what don't you like about it? I'm like, well, I, I think it's just too small. You know, like I knew these were small coming in, but like, it's just too small. I can't, he's like, well, why, what's too small about it? And I'm like, well, I mean, you only got two seats. It doesn't have any really sort of trunk the same size as my GTI. I can't see out of it. And he's trying to like talk me through all these things. Like, yeah, you can totally see out of it. Like I can see your eye levels like below the, and I'm like, yeah, but like, it doesn't matter what you think. Right. <laughs> it's and too the sales small. guy's probably like 5'10". Oh, he's tr- Yeah. He's trying to convince me all these things. And I'm like, I thought it would just be a little bit more tied down. You know, my GTI handles a little bit better, which I was surprised by to begin with. Mm-hmm. But I was like, I, th- I don't think this like handles as well. It feels a little too light on its feet. Like the tires and these, this thing is summer tires relative to my, you know, 22,000 miles on their all season tires on my GTI. Like it should handle better. The tires should be better. And he's like, yeah, well aftermarket, you can get sway bars. You can put them in the back. You can do all this stuff. And I'm like, you can't sell me on doing all this aftermarket stuff. Right you know like i'm I'm here to like um, look at the stock car so it's just yeah. but yeah i had to talk through all of this with him that's always my hesitation <laughs> is i just don't have the patience to deal with the uh sales guys i'm notoriously like an asshole to car sales guys so yeah that was the most i'd ever have to really i had, I had to really talk out of a salesperson well not necessarily but <laughs> yeah i was just telling ben earlier though now that i drive you know a sixty thousand dollar truck i can use that as good leverage to go test drive more expensive cars and be taken more seriously and so you know you can roll up in your sixty thousand dollar gladiator and be like yeah i'm thinking about trading it in i miss something a little sporty can i drive the new you know base m3 that's only 10 grand more and they'll be like yeah that's no problem that's definitely what you got to do, though. I mean, I, I just had to lie a lot. The guy's like, so how long have you been shopping for? Like, do you want to get a car like by the end of this weekend? Like, what's your timeline? And I'm like, what is yeah. my timeline? Why would I have a timeline? Right. You know, go get the script out, buddy. Ask me all the questions. Yeah, he was new, though, too. He was a young dude. He was younger than me. I bet he was in his early 20s and just eager to sell something. Yeah. He, so he was on it. He was pulling out every single thing. And I'm like, dude, I just want to drive. <laughs> right. All right. Changing gears. You know, we rarely actually say that the term changing gears even though that's kind of what this whole podcast is built around we, yeah, should we try could to do that we more. could yeah we could make it a whole thing Every i can make a switch. sound effect just, like, just yeah. like a clunky gear change there we go <laughs> ben, it's, it. it's just time to stop talking about what you talked about for the last 10 minutes <laughs> changing gears could you yeah all right here in minnesota we have the twin cities auto show i know a lot of cities have big auto shows but i think minnesota's has historically been pretty great and it was always in the minneapolis convention center and for the first year in lieu of covid it was brought out to the Minnesota State Fairgrounds, which for me, I just loved, and it also featured State Fair food. So this is not a paid advertisement, and it's already over for 2021, but in 2022, y'all should go to the Twin Cities Auto Show because they had a lot of stuff there and a lot of stuff that we want to talk about, and some of that is going to intertwine with also our car news. So, of course, Ford has about the biggest booth there. And they have all sorts of stuff to introduce. The first and probably noteworthy thing to me, I'm not going to be overly dramatic here, but this is one of the biggest car announcements. And to me, could be one of the biggest game changers in the current automotive scene is this new F-150 Lightning. And let me start by saying I've made these rants before. I hate that they brought back the name Lightning because in like 2004, it was a little hopped up. I might have even, I think, supercharged turbo. I don't remember. Some Ford guy will know. Supercharged, yeah. Supercharged two-door F-150 that they dubbed the Lightning. It's in the first Fast and the Furious for a second. Yes. Right? And I hate that they they brought that name back. But I get, you already got it trademarked. It's cheaper to do it that way. Did they ever use it before the one in the early 2000s? 
was around the year two thousand. Again, I'm we're too young to know. know we're too young to know that one. Yeah. Anyway, aside from the name, I think this is the car that really changes a lot of things. I mean, when the best selling pickup truck goes electric, one of two things is going to happen. Either it's not going to be the best selling pickup truck for the first time in sixty seven years, or whatever Ford reminds us of in every commercial. Yeah. Or it's going to be literally the best-selling car of all time yeah it's a big deal i'm sure they've been you know sitting on doing this for a long time and now it's kind of starting to go um and i agree this is probably one of the more important things to happen in probably this decade for cars mm-hmm. um we i mean that remains to be seen but this is this could be a you know a big deal and you we, we start looking at the numbers you start looking at the pricing all this kind of stuff and you're like i'm like yeah that kind of makes sense i, I I kept, I mean, I think I said this several episodes ago and I keep thinking it over and over and over again. Everyone thinks that everyone's going to start driving electric cars when like gas prices get too high or something like that. It's like people are going to start driving electric cars when it makes sense to drive the electric car. It just Mm -hmm. is a better deal. Right. These are appliances we're talking about. Right. When you get a better appliance, you get the better appliance. Yeah. When it's the right product in the right era, it becomes the right decision. And to me, we're getting closer and closer to that. And this was a big step. Because when Tesla came out, you know, prior to maybe the last two years, if you had an electric car, it was like, oh, whoa, you're, you're one of those kind of guys. And you got a little yeah. bit of money and you were a type of person and you weren't just a common man. Mm-hmm. And to me, this is a common man car. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the big manufacturers that have started making electric cars in the last few years still did it with sort of a, a luxury connotation. You have Audi e-trons and all that kind of stuff that you see somewhat regularly mm-hmm. aside from like the obvious. Yeah, they start with the high-end one. Yeah, other than like the Chevy Volt, Nissan yeah. Leaf. But yeah, you start with the high-end one. Mm-hmm. This starts kind of right in the middle. This is really not that much different from the traditional F-150s. I mean, the base model starts at about 40 grand with 230 miles of range and you can get it up to, I think, 300 miles of range. Uh, and that's with weight i believe yeah so they 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 said i think ford said that that 230 miles of range and then the extended version getting 300 has thousand pounds on it already yeah so they kind of they kind of do that so when you get into pickup pickup truck space for me the conversation around an electric car changes because when you make a tesla model s or model 3 or any of the teslas they're only meant to be driven. And I know that's sort of like a blanket dumb statement, but all you do is drive them from work to school, home, whatever. The F-150 or any pickup truck, you know, a good majority of people drive these for a utilitarian purpose, whether it's towing, hauling, Mm -hmm. purely for work, fleet vehicles. The F-150 is the number one fleet vehicle in the world. And it needs to be able to still do all those things. And so that what is what will be interesting. And from the numbers and what Ford releases, and I'm sure they've thought about this, it still can do all those things. It puts some serious numbers out. It still can tow 10,000 pounds. It's got almost 800 foot-pounds of torque, almost 600 horsepower. And uh, was that? I don't know if that's just the base model. That's, that's the extended one, yeah. Yeah, the extended one. But they both have the same torque number. So yeah. it's just kind of like a tuned down one on the base one. But to me, though, the range has to get bigger if you're going to play pickup truck space. I still think this yeah. is quality. I still think yeah. this is great. But the reality is, you know, 
uh, I guess I technically air quote am a pickup truck guy now, although not really, but I spend a lot of time with family friends and we're going to races and car auctions and we're pulling trailers all over America and we're already putting aftermarket fuel tanks in our F-250s so that they can go 60 gallons of gas and that we can go from here to Kansas City on a tank. Mm-hmm. And so that's already some with a trailer and another 5,000 pound race car, well not 5,000, 3,000 pound race car in the back. So that is something that needs to be fixed because I guarantee yeah. you we will not pull our race trailer to Kansas City if we have to stop and charge the truck every 300 miles. Nope. The uh, So I think we have to wait until we get the EPA estimates on those because people have kind of been looking at these numbers that Ford's been putting out and everything just kind of seems a little conservative. Like it might be better than that. And the way they calculate miles on electric cars is different than how they do with gas cars. But um, we'll have to, we'll just kind of have to see. But yeah, I think that's kind of the thing that's holding it back because a lot of people would be like, yeah, 230 miles of range. My V6 EcoBoost, um, you know, gets like 600. So it just kind of depends on what you want to get there. But for some people, it's going to make sense. Some people, it's not. I think of people that like live in the burbs and commute in one of these is still on a truck. Oh, be yeah. like, oh, sweet. And that's still a huge chunk of people. There's a lot of people that just yeah. like a good old-fashioned F-150. Yeah. And I was looking into this as a business owner, and I don't mean the podcast, but owning businesses outside of here. You're familiar with some of the tax laws and stipulations, and one of them is Section 179. And this is why so many business people and so many fleet vehicles and stuff are the F-150 and so many other um, high weight cars. So if your car weighs over 6,000 pounds, you can write off a significant chunk of it. And they actually have an example written down on the website that allows you to learn more about Section 197. And it says, let's say you finance a $45,000 SUV that's over 6,000 pounds, therefore it's heavy enough to qualify and you use it for your small business, um, but that's, I'm not going to get myself in any trouble here, but that's like air quote, okay? I drive my truck to Ben's house every time we want to record a podcast. Is mm-hmm. that 100% for business use? You tell me. Yeah. <laughs> you know. So if that's the case, if it's a $45,000 SUV, you are able to deduct $25,000 under Section 179 and get first-year depreciation of $10,000, Moral of story, if you buy this truck for forty five grand, you can write off $35,000 of it year one, which is huge, and you get an electric vehicle tax credit of, I think, $7,500. Mm-hmm. And that can go up to, if you live in California, you get an extra like three or something like that. So, so you can get, you're getting like ten grand off yeah. your truck. Whether you're a small-time business owner and you have your little, I don't know, landscaping business and you want an F-150 like golden opportunity like these you're walking away after all your write-offs and what you save on taxes and stuff like that with like a ten thousand dollar truck yeah if you get if you're in california and you're just some dude that wants something like this to drive around like as a business owner you can get these probably under 30 grand with all the tax stuff and you're writing it off it's it's crazy yeah or if you're they're they're all crew cabs too so you're not even you're not getting like this crappy base model they, they don't they don't make a like base model that you think of with cloth seats and the and just the the two door kind of thing. This is a four door leather seats. I think they all are mm-hmm. F one fifty. And time will tell as far as maintenance goes, but historically low uh, electric cars have been pretty low maintenance. And so if you're an enterprise or you're even like a construction company with a big fleet, you're buying everyone yeah. these electric F one fifties. You don't for have the to write-offs, pay. for the tax implications, for the fact that they're yeah. still a good truck. You don't have to pay your $4 a gallon 
smog fees in California. You don't have to get inspected. Like in the States, you got inspected because it's electric. Like right. all these little things. You don't have to get your work trucks inspected. So yeah, people are going to probably worry about the reliability going into it. And you never know with Ford either. Um, mm-hmm. But I feel like they're trying really hard here and they think this is their new thing. So And it might be. They're gonna I'll give it to them. Yeah. Like on paper, it looks really compelling, especially if you're a, a certain kind of person. But yeah. Yeah, they're not going to do anything like this to the 250s and 350s anytime soon, I bet. And But I think, and this is something I just looked up before we started doing this, is I remember when the EcoBoost V6 came out. This would have been like, what, seven, eight years ago, mm-hmm. nine years ago? Yeah. And I remember, you know, it was kind of a big deal. It's like, what? It's not going to be a V8? This right. is crazy. Yeah. And I remember talking to my dad about it. And my dad's just like, all my friends have F-150s. None of them. Ha- they all have V8s. None of them will get the V6. Like, no one's going to get the right, V6. Right. That's what I said. I was like, truck guys don't drive V6s. The F-150s, I don't have a solid number on this. I just looked at a few different publications. Right now, or as of 2017 is what the article said, It uh, the take rate on the EcoBoost was like 75% of all F-150s. So like 20% around of all F-150s are V8s. That's it. Mm-hmm. One in five F-150s you see is a V8. Right. So you never know. If this ends up working out well, you're going to see more than these than you probably think because we thought the same thing about the EcoBoost. Mm-hmm. Is no one's going to want these. No one wants a V6 truck. But when all the numbers make sense and it can tow as much, and it's all the same and it's cheaper, well, right. then you do it. And so. then you look at, too, if that certain kind of person doesn't want to drive an F-150 will they step up and pay more for the F-250, the F-350, those gas and diesel-powered trucks that that still please um, if, you know, they're that against electric? I have a hard time seeing some of those, you know, those Texas guys with their ranch trucks and whatever going electric. So maybe for yeah, them, probably they not go F-250 and they spend yeah. another twenty grand on it. Yeah, it works for Ford. Yeah. So it'll be interesting. Yeah. Back to my auto show thoughts. First of all, just the word Jeep. As a new Jeep owner, I've now had my Gladiator for two months now. And the only thing I... Well, that's a lie. Let me go on a mini rant here. There's three things I don't like about it. The first is the fuel economy. The window sticker that says 22 miles per gallon. And you're like, yeah, I can live with that. No. 16. <laughs> at best. 16 if you're not pulling anything or don't have any payload or anything. Uh, the automatic stop-start button... I wish I could just permanently turn that off. I'm sure I could find a way if I f- looked hard enough where I can plug something into my OBD and turn it off. But I haven't done that yet, but I need to. But aside from that, they've been good cars. And my mom has a Grand Cherokee. We've been, I don't want to say a Jeep family, but we've had a Jeep in the household and now in my household for at least the last 10 years. And so I always kind of liked Jeep even before having one. And so I was eager to go to the Jeep booth because they got a lot of stuff going on. And a lot of stuff going on is a perfect way to describe it because with the new Grand Cherokees, Wagoneers, Grand Wagoneers, and all the trim levels of each one of those, it's a lot. And part of me thinks it's too much. So I'm going to start from the top. <laughs> I, When I saw Jeep Grand Wagoneer was coming out, I said, hmm, that kind of looks sharp, but I just really wasn't convinced that it was going to be able to hang with the market this is an expensive full-size big suv comparable to the escalades and navigators and yukons you know people that buy these are spending big bucks an escalade and navigator and to an extent yukon all have name value and are seen as the kind of big three in the suv space so i question where jeep grand 
Grand Wagoneer would fit into this. And after seeing one, I was impressed, to be honest. I'm always a bit of a cynic when it comes to this stuff. But after spending time in and around the 2022 Grand Wagoneer, it's beautiful. I think it's better looking than the 2022 Escalade Navigator in Yukon. And that's saying a lot because Ben will know I'm a new Escalade guy. <laughs> I like the new Escalade. But I think it's better looking. I think there's better tech. I didn't drive it. Can't tell you how it drives. But do people that buy $90,000 SUVs really care like how they drive per se as long as they're reliable and they start every morning? I don't think so. And this has some stuff that I liked. It's a 5.7 liter Hemi which is, you know, the FCA big V8 that they put in their chargers and all of that. So it's a powerful truck. It had loads of tech. It had full-size three rows and not like a cookie-cutter three rows, three big rows. You can easily fit all your kids and their friends and teammates and whatever in the hockey bags in the trunk. It's big, and it could definitely be a good big SUV option. And so... Everything underneath essentially is a Ram 1500. Whether that's good or bad, I don't really know yet. Rams, you've heard miscellaneous electrical issues and stuff out of those. Um, but clearly they have enough faith in it to do something like this for a brand new. Or I guess it's not brand new technically. There's Wagoneers back in the day, but basically a new model. Mm-hmm. And they're expensive. They start at eighty-seven grand, and there's five trim levels. I think five. I'm counting them out. Go Series 1, Series 2, Obsidian, Series 3, and Series 3 Premium. So that's five. It just keeps going up. Yeah. And so yeah. you can uh, option them out at over 100 grand easily, touching 110 grand. Yeah. So it's coming right after, obviously, the Escalade Navigator Yukon. Mm-hmm. I, um, I really like it personally too. I think it looks good and I think I think it just kind of they they do like the press release photos in like the Redwood Forest and I'm like, yeah, you know, yeah. like I want a big truck in the Redwood Forest, you know, it kind of looks cool. Mm-hmm. I kind of compare this to when the BMW X7 came out. Yeah. Where like BMW hadn't really come out with a big SUV like this before and Jeep has done stuff like this in the past, but mm-hmm. you know, not recently. So like they're kind of like going into this space that they don't really own, but you know, if I wanted to get the, the only people that get the BMW X7 really are the people that want the BMW. Right. So like the people that are looking at the Escalade Navigator Yukon and the Grand Wagoneer will go like, I want the Jeep and mm-hmm. they'll get the Grand Wagoneer. So it might not be better. It might not be worse, but if you want the Jeep, that's the one you're going to get. And Jeep clearly has their guy. I mean, Jeep is a v- extremely powerful brand in the car space and they know who their consumer are. And it was cracking Ben and I up because you look at all their advertising pieces and let me tell you. If you are a 30-year-old male and you wear brown leather boots and you have two young kids and a good-sized dog, that's who Jeep wants to buy the Grand Wagoneer. That's what all their pictures are of. And then you take your family into the Redwood Forest. He's just your suburban dude that can get like a decent truck. But this is definitely, if you have the money, I'm going to say this is going to be a good buy. I think you'll see a good amount of these. I think after experiencing them, if Jeep can get people to the dealership to look at them, I think a lot of people will actually move away from especially the Navigator and the Yukon because they've been to so like old money for a while that the Jeep is really kind of this young, suave, you know, young businessman's SUV. Yeah. This makes the Yukon look boring and the Yukon is definitely driven by an older person. Mm-hmm. So the Escalade's still cool though. I'd There's say it of... competes the best with the Navigator. I'd feel like it's a very close to Navigator type, mm-hmm. but yeah, the Yukon's a little bit older. The Escalade's a little bit more like 
I don't know, luxurious, obviously. Right. Um, All right, I'm going to keep my rant going because it gets worse from here. <laughs> so in Jeep fashion, you know, there's a Cherokee, there's a Grand Cherokee, there's a Grand Wagoneer. There's also just a Wagoneer, a Jeep Wagoneer. And to me, I hate this. So as much as I liked the Grand Wagoneer, tar- 10 feet next to it was a regular Wagoneer. And I just couldn't wrap my head around who would buy this. And I'll explain more later when I talk about the next model. But it's just worse. It's not different. It's just smaller and less technologically advanced and less refined. And it has less trims and less options. Still has that V8 powertrain, same powertrain. Um, If you cared about sportiness, sure, it's lighter with the same horsepower. So it's quicker. Does anyone that buys this care? Probably not. It's still seventy thousand dollars. <laughs> you get it. You're spending seventy grand, and you don't get to say you have the Grand Wagoneer. Yeah, it's still <laughs> seventy grand, and it, it's still three rows. But the third yeah. row becomes one of those cramped, like only yeah. your six year old kids can actually sit back there. So it's it's just the it's the difference between a Yukon and a Yukon XL, right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So, but you, but there was a bigger difference in my opinion. There was a bigger difference between the Wagoneer and Grand Wagoneer than like the Yukon Mm. XL in the base, or even the Escalade ESV in the base. Yeah, it was that much smaller, and it looked just like the next car I'm going to talk about, which is the new Jeep Grand Cherokee. And there's a bunch of different trim levels of this also, but this one starts at just thirty eight thousand dollars. But if you go look at the new 2022 Grand Cherokee especially the Grand Cherokee L, which is the long wheelbase version, and the Wagoneer, you can barely tell the difference. And there's... It all kind of looks the same. Well, and two, when these are all going to be new, not everyone's going to be really familiar with it. Mm -hmm. The last ones, the Grand Cherokee, the current Grand Cherokee has been out for like over a decade now. So everyone knows them. Right. You you see them, you get it. That's a Grand Cherokee. Mm -hmm. But the new one, you're going to be like, is that a Grand Cherokee? Is that a Wagoneer? Is that a Grand Wagoneer? Right. I don't even know what any of these things are. I literally did that exact same thing. I walked up to, the first car I saw when I walked through the gate was the new Jeep Grand Cherokee. And the first thing I said, oh, is that the new Wagoneer? And then I got up to it. I was like, wait, nope, it's Grand Cherokee. Yeah. And it was weird. So like the Grand Cherokee is obviously an icon for Jeep. It's been around forever and they make them very nice. The Grand Cherokee has six trim levels of its own ranging from the basic Laredo all the way up to the Summit Reserve, which is the top trim level that's also almost $70,000. But the base starts at 38. And the difference, biggest difference here is you now have the age-old Jeep 3.6 liter V6, which is heavily refined and has become a pretty reliable engine in recent years. So that's a good thing. And it's a Grand Cherokee, so it's its own model, obviously. And it's one that's got to be good because it's the one they probably sell the most of. So it has great tech. It also has three rows, which is new for the Grand Cherokee but they are uh, a cramped third row as well. So all in all here, you can tell there's not a lot of difference between the Grand Cherokee, the Wagoneer, and the Grand Wagoneer. And when you see them all next to each other, it's a bit confusing. And the only one I could really get behind is the Grand Wagoneer as a truly like cool car that I would put on my list of I'd maybe own one of those. The Grand Cherokee is the Grand Cherokee. So it's always going to sell pretty well. And that, you know, sub 40 grand, a lot of people are going to buy them. And a lot of people option them up. There you do. You see Grand Cherokees everywhere. To me, the market has no place for the Wagoneer. 
I could be wrong, but I don't think they're going to sell a lot of these. If you're spending 70 grand, why not spend the extra 10, 15 grand and get the Grand Wagoneer? It's so much better. It's bigger. Yeah, it's kind of hard to say. I feel like you'd end up just rather getting a Grand Cherokee. Yep. And just for the record, between the Grand Wagoneer, Wagoneer, and Grand Cherokee, let the record show that there are 13 trim levels. Yeah. I just get confusing. This is where the salesperson just fig- figures it out for you, and you just walk away with your monthly payment and whatever right. red one you want. And this is just an FCA Stellantis thing. I talked about this last episode when I bought my Jeep. There's literally 10 different trim levels of your Wranglers and Gladiators. One day we're going to put together a list of all of the FCA like truck and SUV trim models. I guess it wouldn't even have to be truck and SUV. I mean, there's a million Chargers, too, and Challengers, and so many. I bet FCA sells god i don't even know a thousand variations yeah it's crazy i don't even know how the dealers figure that out (laughs) just you just get a million of them and the last thing we've talked a lot about this car so i'm just going to glance over it the new ford bronco i saw my first one on the road the other day and then i got to be up close and personal with it at the auto show they look good the four-door looks good the two-door i was a little eh on but to me they only look good with those big beefy uh, top trim level tire packages, the wild track. and It's got to be a cool one. It's got to be a cool one. Yeah. They're pretty simplistic on the interior. I know that's kind of what they were going for. I know it's not a luxury SUV. But to me, the only big plus if you're driving one of these is with all the hype and all the media around this truck. You drive it down the road and people go, oh, cool, that's the new Bronco. Like, whoa, look at that. Owning one, I don't think there's anything exceptional about it. And I think the price kind of reflects that. The top trim level is forty six grand, in comparison to the Wrangler that they went directly after. Those things are touching seventy grand right now for the new ones. Yeah, with the ridiculous and, one. Yeah. I'm, well, I'm sure they're going to come out with a Bronco uh, Raptor. So you know, they'll they'll come out with some ridiculous one. Yeah. They have to. They have to, especially yeah. because Jeep is so crazy and FCA is so crazy that it's only a matter of time before there's. A production Hellcat Wrangler. Yeah. It was already the 392 Wrangler. Uh, new Forerunners coming out, I think. Next mm-hmm. year we'll know about that. There's going to be some different, you know, the competition is going to be, out, so. you know, a TRD Forerunner. Oh, yeah. All so, that stuff's coming. Yeah. Forerunners going to come out, and like a year after that, they're going to come out with the cool one. They, right. they have to do that. Like, well, it's Toyota. You never know. They can be kind of dull, but that, yeah, that'll happen. Yep. Those are the big takeaways from the twin cities auto show it's kind of cool other than the cheese curds and the you know and yeah and if you're in minnesota <laughs> you'll know the value of this they had the pronto pups the cheese curds the sweet martha's cookies for our, a state that didn't get the state fair last year it was worth the trip just to be able to go eat the food that is totally worth it 100 percent. you can get your girlfriend to come oh the, the the cookies are there i did yeah perfect there you go uh, it's good to be back that is episode eight of season one we know you've been bad about putting out consistent episodes, but hopefully if you're new to the podcast, they're all out on Spotify, Stitcher, Anchor, uh, Apple Podcasts, and you can go binge now the last eight episodes. Which our intention is still to do 12 this year. We originally said 12 in 12 weeks. That didn't happen, but you know everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face. I think that's how it goes, <laughs> and Ben can't stay healthy, so it is what it is. Yeah, hopefully you don't get sick again. Yeah, that'd be a shame. But that's a wrap. Thank you for listening to episode eight of season one. Again, you can follow us on Instagram. It's at Changing Gears Podcast. 
and listen to all our episodes and stay tuned as we will be better about releasing them on time. Thank you. Thank you.